Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again on the program again this week. We've been doing an exciting series. I believe it's exciting, and I believe it's really opened up some things, at least in my own heart, uh, that I've been able to share with you. What's amazing to me is the more I dig around in this stuff, the more pieces I find. But last week we began to do uh, uh, the, uh, I believe it is the sixth I am of Jesus, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. About all we got done last week was the setup or the prelude for it. And let me just take a short brief uh, uh, review so that I can bring you up to where we are right now. In John 13, the setting was simply this. They were in uh, the upper room, and they were in the place where Jesus had told them to go and, and get the Passover meal ready, because I, with great desire have I desired to eat this Passover meal with you. And I believe the reason Jesus had the desire to do that was because it was going to be the last physical Passover they would ever eat, because we don't realize the importance of what Jesus was saying when He lifted His cup and said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. And in other words, what He's saying is, this is the end of this one. This Lamb of God, or this Lamb that we're about to eat will be the last time you ever have to kill a woolly lamb, because the true Lamb of God is now on the scene. I am the bread. In other words, as he took the bread and he took that bread, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. What he's saying is, is that this is the last physical Old Covenant type and shadow Passover, and today, and with, or within the following few days, he would be the true Lamb of God that would be sacrificed for the sin of the whole world. And as we have dealt with these I Am's, let me say this so that you can, uh, you say, well, boy, this really sounds interesting to me, but I missed about 20 programs. I, I've got good news for you. You can go back uh, to our, our, to our YouTube page, and you can watch them on demand. Everything we air, we archive on YouTube, and you can watch them on demand, you can share them with your friends, you could share them in your uh, home prayer groups, and I believe they'll be a real blessing to you. Also, if you say, well, I just don't have time to sit down and watch the video, but I'd sure like to listen to these again, then we have the audio portions of it available to you to listen on iTunes. You say, well, I don't have an Apple device, so I can't listen on iTunes. I have an Android. Well, we have an RSS feed for Android, so that you can get it in almost any format that you have, and you can redeem time when you're in your car driving to and fro, your work, or you're mowing the lawn, or doing your dishes, or being in the kitchen, or what have you, you can do that listening to them. The easiest way to do all of that is simply to go to my website, which is on the screen, lynnhouse.com, and the upper right-hand corner, there are little icons there. Uh, one is a picture of YouTube, one is a picture of the iTunes podcast, and one is the icon for a little robot that looks like an Android. If you tap on those icons, they will take you directly to the link uh, of where our podcast is at, where the RSS feed is at, or where the YouTube is at. Now let me come back again, because I want to really unpack some things this week. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now again, we are the night before His decease. They're in the room where the Last Supper has been prepared. 
They're reclining at the meal, and Jesus begins to, first of all, wash the disciples' feet. He tells them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. And he begins to model how that this kingdom is going to operate, not through your desire to have men serve you, but your desire to serve men and to serve them. And Jesus gets up and washes the feet of all of these people that are at the table, including, jo uh, including Judas. He washes everyone's feet. And He humbles Himself, literally, showing you that the king of this kingdom is going to humble Himself to serve us, to make us clean, and to do the work in us. And then as they sat at the table that night, Jesus takes the bread, and He blesses the bread, and He breaks the bread, and He gives the sop to each one of these disciples. Knowing full well that before the night is over, everybody at this table is going to betray Him, including Peter, Judas, everybody at the table. John is the only one that really doesn't leave Jesus. He's the only one at the foot of the cross. The rest of them scatter. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And they're going to scatter before the night is over. And Jesus, I can see Him take the sop, knowing that Peter is going to betray Him, because He says to them, where I'm going now, you cannot come. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I come now? Why can't I follow you? Jesus said, you will follow me later, but right now you can't do what I'm about to do. See, these were men who were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. These were men under the law, trying to do with human strength and might, and out of their own strong self-will, what they thought was right. But they're going to miserably fail Him before the night is over. And Jesus, in the last chapter, John 13, says, I can see Him look straight in the eyes of Peter, just like He's looking straight into the eyes of someone watching me right now, and saying, I know you're going to blow it. I know you're going to fail but this is my body. It was broken for you. In other words, I got you covered. And Peter looks at Jesus, and I, 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 just to me that's so powerful to me, because I see him literally take the sop to every one of you watching me, knowing your failures, knowing your weaknesses, knowing you're not able to do this on your human strength, and says, don't you understand the redemptive work of Christ? This is my body. It was broken for you. And you look straight in the eyes of Pete, and Pete says, Lord, you know I will die with you. And I think Peter really means this. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Yes, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I shared with you in the last segment, so I'm not going to take all, all the whole segment here to do this. I'm just recapping. When the rooster crows, I can see the eye of Jesus catch him as he comes out of Pilate's judgment hall, and there's Peter, and then the rooster crows. And we always preach condemnation, because what we'll say is stuff like this. The rooster crowed to show Peter, see there, what a failure you are. The rooster crowed to rat you out. But anybody that's ever lived on a farm knows that a rooster always crows at the sign of first light of a new day. And what this rooster was really doing for Peter is he was saying to him, yesterday, dude, you might have failed, but I'm announcing a new day to you. This rooster is crowing to announce a brand new day, not just to Peter, but to everybody watching me who's ever failed before. 
There, you listen to this rooster crow today, because this rooster is announcing for you a new day. I don't care. Pick yourself up off the floor. Pick yourself up out of your failure. Pick yourself up out of that, that, that molly grub and failure mentality and realize this is my body. It was broken for you, that He still loves you. And then I shared with you last week how that on the heels of the rooster crowing, what we do is we separate the chapters, but there's no separation in the chapter. So what happens is, is that the, 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 Peter denies the Lord the rooster crows. And then verse 1 of chapter 14 of John opens by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, Pete, yesterday, man, you failed. But you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. I think sometimes so many of us are so reminded of our failures that we get discouraged, that we don't even get up again, realize that that the body and the blood of Jesus paid for my sin, past, present, and future. Not that I should want to sin, but that if I do, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John did write in one of his other um, uh, small epistles, and he said, listen, uh, these things are, little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. So he doesn't want you to sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we're going to see that also in this next chapter. But what we usually do is somehow we separate John 14 from this whole story, like it's something that's completely a different theme. But it's the same night, same audience, same deal. Peter just betrayed the Lord. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. Now watch this because you're going to see something totally different here, I believe, than you maybe have ever heard before. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Now the key words in this verse is that where I am, there you may be also. I am is the key words in all of this phrase, because we're going to deal with this. Again, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. If I were preaching this, I'd say, touch your neighbor and say, remember, I am. Because where I am, you could be also. And whither I go, you know the way. And the way you know, he says in the next verse. Thomas says unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, now here's the, uh, here's the, I believe it is sixth I am of this series. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Now let's just stay in context here. Remember what Jesus said 
that where I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. So I would ask you the question when he said that where I am, you can be, where is he? Now he tells you where he is in this chapter because immediately we think he went to heaven someplace. But he tells you in this verse, Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me? In other words, he said, I'm going to take you where I am. Where is he? I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. And where I'm going to take you is to a place where you're in the Father, and the Father is in you. And he's going to come and take up his abode in you, because under the old covenant, you're going to fail me before the rooster crows, Pete, but that was before me and Dad moved in. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father. Remember, he said that where I am, you can be also. Where is he? Believe me that I am in the Father. He's in the Father. And the Father's in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. That's where he's taking you. He's taking you in the Father and the Father to be in you. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He said, I'm going to the Father. And, and he said, and, and the Father, I, I'm, I, I'm going to take you where I am. And I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. And he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me the work that I do, you're going to do also an even greater works than these than you do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now the commandment he just gave them was not the law of Moses. The commandment in the prior chapter is that you love one another. This new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So he's still talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to take up his abode in you, because the day before yesterday, Pete, you couldn't do this. You couldn't even stand there and not deny me. But once you're full of the Holy Ghost, dude, you're going to stand up on the day of Pentecost, and with boldness you're going to preach a message where 3,000 people are going to be added to you, because me and Dad are going to, first of all, receive you into ourselves, and then we're going to take up our abode inside of you. And what's amazing to me, now listen, listen closely. We get thrown off in this chapter, in verse 1 and 2 of this, when he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And we think in terms that Jesus went to heaven to start to build you a house so that when you die and He gets all these mansions ready, He's going to come get you. Let me tell you something. If He created the earth in six days, He don't take 2,000 years to build you a house. But this is bigger than some physical building on a planet somewhere. Now, I'm not taking anything from heaven. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Heaven will be far greater than you've ever imagined. But this is not about where you're going to live. It's about where He's going to live. Because in my Father's house, whose house is it? It's His house. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now listen again. We are the Father's house. 
What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the corporate body of Christ is made up of many members. And in my Father's corporate house, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. Now let me tell you something else. This Greek word for mansion here is only ever used one other time in the Scriptures. This Greek word, and, and I wish that the translators would have stayed consistent to this, because this word mansion is only ever translated one other place in the Scripture, and it is in this very same chapter, we'll get to it in just a few moments, but in this very same chapter in John 14, he says, I and my Father, we will come and make our abode in Him. The word abode there is the Greek word mansion. In other words, he says it like this, me and Dad are going to come and mansion ourselves within you. Same Greek word. In other words, in John 1, 2, 1 and 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. Where is He? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Going down in the chapter, that I and my Father will come and mansion ourselves in you. I'm telling you, it's here in the Scripture in context. If we can get our minds out of a carnal realm that's just looking for a house that's a big house somewhere over in glory land to live and start realizing this was not about what happens when you die. It's about what happened when He died, rose from the dead. He and the Father came and take up His abode within us and made their man. You are the governor's mansion. I mean, you're what gives the omnipresent God a local address. And the reason He did that was not just so He could build you a house one day so you could go to heaven. And I'm not taking anything from heaven, but He did that so Him and the Father could come and take up their abode in you so that greater works than these will you do. And He's going to tell them in a few moments, it's expedient for you that I go away, but because if I don't go, the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Comforter will not come. But if I go, I'm going to send you another. Now that, that word another means one of the same kind, one of the same substance, one of the same uniqueness. And He's going to come and dwell in you forever. So this text is not about where you're going to live. It's about where He's going to live. And in some sense, yes, it is about where you're going to live. Because you're going to live and move and have your being in Him, but He's also going to live and move and have His being in you. You're the temple of God. God was looking for a place, hallelujah, all through the Scriptures. From the time Adam lost relationship with God, he said, let them build me a house that I might dwell among them. Moses pitched a tent for him. God dwelled in an old flapping tent. And then David looking out in his palace of, of silver and cedar one day, he looks out and he sees God in an old flapping tent and he says, you know what, here I dwell in a palace of cedar and God's out there in an old flapping tent. Let me build God a house. And so he calls for Nathan the prophet and the Nathan the prophet comes in and, and uh, King David said, it's in my heart to build God a house. And the prophet Nathan says, yea, do all that is in thy heart. And, and man, he gives him the prophetic word to go ahead and build God a house. But when Nathan goes back home that night and lays down on his bed, God slaps him and said, you get up and you go tell David, where's the house you'd build for me? Seeing the heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. I'm not looking for you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. 
And when he began to speak, he began to speak of, of one who would come out of the loins of David who would never vacate the throne. That was fulfilled in Jesus. He is the true uh, seed of David who was heir to the throne of the Davidic throne, and he will never vacate the throne. Now let me just say this to you, is that when David wanted to build God a house, God said, I'm not interested in a house. And then, of course, Solomon builds him a house. But Solomon builds all of his heathen god wives a house. Builds all kinds. And then they destroy that temple. The Babylonians destroyed it. And then under Ezra and Nehemiah, they restore one. And then you have Herod's temples destroyed and, 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 and rebuilt and it's renewed. And all of a sudden, you come to the New Testament. And when you get to the New Testament... Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, your people say we need to worship God here, and we say that you need to worship God in this temple, in this house, and in this mountain. But Jesus said, I'm going to tell you something. The hour is coming when they that worship me will worship me in spirit and truth. In other words, it's not about the location. It's not about this building. It's not about this. And then Jesus would stand in front of all of these beautiful buildings at the temple, and he would say, a greater than the temple is now here. Because he was the personification of the temple of the living God. And when he stood in front of those, those beautiful buildings of the temple, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it back up. And they were thinking in the natural, but he was talking in the spirit, because this spake he concerning the temple of his own body. And we know that they destroyed that temple, and three days later Jesus raised from the dead, because the true tabernacle that God was looking for was the man Christ Jesus, because Isaiah prophesied and said, Where is thy house that you would build for me, seeing the heavens are my throne, and the earth is my footstool? Where is the house which you would build for me? But I'm not looking for a house. I'm looking for a man of a broken and a contrite spirit that trembleth at my word. That's the house I'm looking for, is I'm looking for a house who is a man. And then we realize when we get into the book of Corinthians that that expands even greater. And the Apostle Paul says, what? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? God's house just got bigger. It was expanded in this corporate son, in this corporate temple, which is Jesus Christ. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, God has chosen to move in to us as the habitation of God through the Spirit. God finally realizes His dream. Let them build me a house so I can dwell among them. He finally realizes His dream. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 21, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And I love how the Message Bible translates it. It says, and uh, I heard a voice, a great voice, from heaven saying, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made his home with men. He's their God. There is people. God will wipe every tear from their faces and off of all of their eyes. In other words, God has moved into the neighborhood. Oh, do you realize how impactful this is? When he said God has moved in the neighborhood, you say, well, I live in the projects. Well, I'm going to tell you, God has moved into the neighborhood. Start a kingdom colony there. God is present within us. When you walk in a room, you're a game changer. That's what, that's what John 14 is about, is I go to prepare a place for you. What place is that? In the Father and the Father being in you. He and the Son coming to take up their abode within you so that greater works than these will you do 
because I go to the Father and He's restoring us back to the dominion that belonged to us in the beginning where God is tabernacled in the midst of a people who are the very habitation of God through the Spirit, that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself, being chief cornerstone, are built out of lively stones as a habitation of God through the Spirit that God could live dwell among us and manifest His glory and His nature to creation through us. That's the purpose of Him going to the cross. And I think that's so powerful in His resurrection as well, that He would literally, you know, uh, bring us to that place where if we could just wrap our head around how powerful it is that the God who we constantly are waiting to come into the room and manifest already lives inside of us. What part of Emmanuel don't we understand? What part of He will never leave you or forsake you don't we get? Because He lives and resides inside of us. And if we could really get this, I believe we would affect our culture, we would affect our homes, we would affect society, because the truth of it is you carry the presence of the glory of the God who fills the universe, lives and resides in you. And if Jesus walked the earth and everywhere He went, He was doing good. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, and setting creation free. That's the mandate that He was putting on them here when He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The way to where? Not just a ticket to heaven, but I'm the way into relationship with the Father, because I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we're going to come, and we're going to take up our abode in you. The temple is filled with His glory, and there should be an outflow out of your belly should be flowing rivers of living water that would touch people no matter where you're at. You're more powerful than you've ever been told before. I believe if we would begin to teach people some of this stuff, that they could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Jesus gave the Great Commission, said, go to all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. That's our mandate because He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Me and Dad are going to come. We're going to take up our abode within you. That's our address. It's This house is not being built for you, it's being built for Him. And in my Father's house there are many mansions. You're the mansion, you're the house, you're the abode, and the Spirit of God lives in you if you've received that. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. And once you get that Spirit in you, you'll find the power not to be one who denies Him like Peter did. It'll give you the strength not to. Well, we're about to run out of time again in this segment. Tune in again next week. We're going to, begin, uh, we're going to begin again to unpack a lot of this stuff again. So uh, just tune in again next week or set your DVR. If you'd like to sow seed into this ministry to help us keep on the air and to continue our traveling ministry and all that we do through ministry, please take a moment to go to our website and there's a link there where you can give an offering or you can sign up for a monthly debit to become a partner with us. You could also send a check or muddy order to the number that, or the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the telephone number that will come up on the screen, and somebody will be standing by to take your credit card or your debit card, and you can give all of those different ways. Thank you again for joining us. Join us again next week at the same time. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.